Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry and the rest of our lives as church workers. I'm Sarah Bariza. And I'm Bill Smoots. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we talk about cutting out the BS and embracing the good in life. Between the two of us, we have ministered in churches for over 50 years, and we haven't burnt out yet. I have pastored primarily Presbyterian churches. I'm a Presbyterian pastor, but for the last four or five years have served United Church of Christ congregations as an intentional interim transitional pastor. Large and small churches, rural, urban, small town. All the churches. I've seen the gamut. Yeah. And I've been a church musician all over the denominational spectrum. Mainline, evangelical, Catholic. Basically, if they hire organists, I have probably worked for them. Personally, I grew up fundamentalist Baptist. I became Eastern Orthodox as a young adult. I married a Catholic. And oftentimes we end up in an Episcopal service with our toddler because via media. I can't even begin to absorb it all, Sarah. Basically, I just love going to church. You're a theological mutt. So, Bill, what are we ta- what are we talking about today, today? We're going to talk about a Christian understanding of the word "called." Um, where we've put that word in our the title of our podcast, and thought as we're kicking things off, it would be good if we tried to define that for ourselves as well as those who might uh, want to be in conversation with us. A lot of times, when we think about "called" or "calling" as people who work in churches, at least I tend to think, "Oh, it's this single calling. You're called to preach, or you're called to pastor." Almost like this moment, this conversion on Damascus, I felt the call and I'm going ahead in my life to this particular singular thing. But that's not what we're talking about here really at all. No, I, I think you're correct in that for many people, that definition does encompass their understanding of call. That, that you know, there was the mountaintop moment or the lightning bolt or whatever it was, and uh, I'm going to go do whatever God convinced me to do in that moment. But following Calvin and Luther, their sense, their, their sense of call and their theology of vocation, this idea that God calls us to live life in, in very particular ways, live life in ways that glorify God, and, and that all the ways we live life are understood as falling within this sense of being called. And they're coming, I'm not, I'm not at all an expert on Luther and Calvin. Nobody really is. <laughs> Both and. But it sounds like they're coming from a mindset where they're like they're coming out of a monastic, right? They're coming right. from a history of monastic. Cult, I, I mean, right? you know, certainly Luther Called was to come out of the was uh, a monk. The sense of monasticism in the Middle Ages was, in some ways, they held themselves up as the truest form of the church because they mm-hmm. pulled themselves out of the world and devoted themselves to prayer and and study and and would often isolate themselves physically from populations or or isolate themselves within the cloister in silence or with very little communication with others so they could focus on God and God alone. And Calvin and Luther reacting to that and and so much that they didn't like about Roman Catholicism in that day and age really understood call the call of God as for all people and, and that uh, there wasn't anyone that was excluded from this call. And are they talking mostly about livelihood here as in I'm a butcher baker, candlestick maker kind of thing? That's certainly part of it, but that's not all of it. There, there was a belief that whatever you did professionally, um, that was a calling. Um, and, and that was, uh, that was noble in and of itself. It was, it was, didn't make any difference whether you were the person sweeping the streets or the, the scribe writing things for the ruler of the land. You were, you were called. Now, 
This was also in a day and age where where women were understood not to be outside the home much. So mm-hmm. I don't know that women fell into this 15th century, 16th century sense of calling. But a lot of Reformed churches, certainly Presbyterianism and Lutheranism, have have embraced this theology that that believers and and again as we've we've modernized our thinking as the Holy Spirit has continued to lead us, that believers, regardless of gender, have a calling. And that can be vocation. Yes, that's part of it. But but the calling is to for for all the parts of our life. For Calvin and Luther, they they believe strongly that we needed to glorify God in all aspects of our life. And that that glorifying was in relationship to our calling. As we are called, so we glorify God. And this is a, like calling as in we are called to be Christians. Called to be Christians, called to, let me throw this one in, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is not the most exciting document in my I was life. Gonna, I but, thought you were going to say it was dear to your heart. No, it, it is not. But but I, I do know that the first question is, what is the chief end of humankind? And that's yeah. my inclusive version of mm-hmm. that question. And it's to glorify God and enjoy God forever. And this sense of to glorify God with all our life I believe is what is really at the heart of a sense of calling for mm-hmm. for the reformers and and has come to us today. Our calling in life is to glorify God and that's not just in the work we do. And can we also say that it is a delight to glorify God? If yes. It, if it is to enjoy God forever, yes. then that is that's not that a pejorative. The delight of our hearts. It yeah. it should be. Yes. Yeah. It should be. It's not a it should not be a burden. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I I would say there are places where calling is a burden. It's just not all fun and silliness all the time. I don't think it's that, mm-hmm. but it should be, there should be a sense of joy to us uh, as as we glorify God uh, and, and joy for us, not just, okay, we got to screw on a happy face and because we're paying attention to no God No show now. window mentality. Yeah. This is making me think about how sometimes call, when it's framed as a really singular, I'm called to preach, I'm called to minister, it can be a really heavy burden, both for the individual and for the people in relationship with that person, because that singular sense of call can be really prioritized over every other relationship in a person's life. Yes. And heavy burden, and I would say unhealthy mm-hmm. burden. It's damaging to those relationships that are most key to you. Mm-hmm. And damaging to the individual. Oh, yes. To, yes. to kind of feel that weight of like, <laughs> to feel the weight of it, God needs me to do this, and here I am, Lord, is it I, Lord? And if if I if I'm not here, then 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 God can't be God without me. We're, well, and there's this sense God has selected me, mm-hmm. uh, and and I therefore must be special in some way. So I better mm-hmm. pay a lot of attention to this thing that God has selected mm-hmm. me for. Yeah. And everything so and everyone else in your life is then at risk of just being in a secondary status, which is awful. Just yeah. awful. When I was in college and, and just out and exploring this sense that I had that I was being called to ministry, there was no bolt of lightning, there was no and a Damascus Road, none of that kind of stuff. It was just doors that opened. And as I if I walked through a door that, you know, maybe was an opportunity to do something in the area of ministry, other opportunities closed off to me. And probably a sense of like an open heart to where God was leading you. 
Yes, but I'm not sure I would have been able to articulate that mm, at that point. Yeah. But but as I was as I was being as I was exploring this sense of call and and exploring it in my own life and and through prayer and in talking with others about call, it was very clear to me then that that call was related to my call to service in the church, my call mm-hmm. to be a pastor, and that call didn't extend beyond that. Um, mercifully, through some wise folks over the years that I've run into in and out of the church, my sense of call has expanded. And I've begun to see that other aspects of my life are also calls and equally important. So the call to be a spouse, the call to be a parent or now a grandparent. Um, as we were talking earlier, you said the call to be a friend. Yes. Mm-hmm. The call yeah. to be a decent human being. Those are all... All the ways that we relate with people in the yes, world. Yes. Yes. And, and, and relate to creation. I would even put it that. Yeah. Those yeah. are all calls and equally valid and and part of the the challenge then particularly in ministry since we're we're trying to focus on the churches what do we do with all these different calls how do we prioritize all these different calls and and I answer that yes how do we glorify god through these calls we we yeah. we have to we, well we glor- I think we glorify god through all the different calls but how do we prioritize them and there's no simple easy way okay everything church comes first mm-hmm. uh, or everything family comes first it's not that cut and dried for me it's not that simple it's how do we balance these calls and and one may need more attention in a moment than another and vice versa and we are constantly having to pay attention to the calls in our lives and I like that. Calibrate, recalibrate, shift, go in a different direction, emphasize one call in the morning, another in the afternoon, or for a week, or for a period of time in our lives. One of my regrets in ministry is that that sense of call just to be a pastor was so strong when I was a a younger person, and that I, I didn't pay as much attention to the other calls in my life as I should have to be a spouse, to, to be a parent. And uh, again, over time and, and with a lot of grace and, and the help of others, I've, I've come to see those calls as at the very least equal. And, and certainly I think the older I get, and, and maybe this is a function of age, I, I just age, I don't know, the, the calls to to be a spouse to to be a, a person in a family to be connected to others i think are more significant to me my church and the people i serve as as much as i like them they're not going to be sitting around my deathbed uh, or they're not yeah. sitting around the dinner table night after night or at a special holiday meal those kinds of things and it's those people that i'm most connected to the the people i interact with most I think where there is the greatest opportunity to glorify God. And that yeah. as I have aged, I'm trying to spend more time and attention there than I am just this call to be a pastor in a church. This is reminding me of growing up in a creationist household where my parents quite seriously would often say like, well, God made a person first and there's the person-God relationship. And then God made family second. And the church didn't come for millennia after that. And family always comes first before job or ministry or any kind of thing. What is so interesting now for me as as an adult is seeing the huge amount of time that my family put into church volunteer work. My dad was a deacon. Uh, Saturday mornings, there we were, painting the nursery, changing the sign, mowing the lawn, whatever was going on. And then I volunteered my time for 
six years as the lead pianist, and that was three services a week. That was a, I mean, fantastic training. Volunteered. Volunteer, yeah. Wow. Um, but fantastic, fantastic training for the, the livelihood that I do now. Um, I, I wouldn't trade that for the world. That's fantastic training. But what a huge amount of time that we as a family gave to the church while also prioritizing family over and above that. So it wasn't like saying, like, family is important, so therefore we don't give any time to our brothers and sisters in the church. I I, I don't want to claim creationist, Fen- but, but yeah. I, I like that thinking. That I, I appreciate that mm-hmm. and, and yeah. wish there had been that corrective earlier on yeah. in, in yeah. my time It helps things be in perspective. It does. It does, and I think that's important. So as I was thinking about calling... I realized that this is the first church where I have worked, where I have ministered, where I am called as a minister of music. And when I was in the hiring process here at First Congregational of St. Louis, I didn't realize that that was part of it. And so I wasn't really framing my interview and audition process. I wasn't thinking from that perspective. I just, I'm, I'm a devout person. And so, of course, I'm speaking from my heart about matters of matters of faith. But then when I realized, oh, you know, I, I'm being formally called as the minister of music here. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't realize that that would impact how I thought about my work. And actually, you know, here a year later, I don't think that it's impacted how I think about my work necessarily because I've for a long time thought about this as like work I do um, for a long time really re- considered church musician work as as a spiritual work. It's how you glorify God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of, one of the ways. But what I've realized is that I love being a minister of music and not a director of music because I love that the church recognizes this also. And I have worked in churches where I felt that I was kind of pushing the rock up the hill, Mm -hmm. that I had to continually remind people, no, wait, wait, I'm a Christian too. You didn't just hire me because I can play the pipe organ, which, you know, is fine. And I don't want to knock musicians and churches who hire musicians who are not themselves religious. You know, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. But for me, I love working in a church where I can speak from my heart, where I can lead people in prayer as a really genuine act and not a formality, and where I can have continual pastoral conversations with people from my heart, hopefully from their hearts. And it's all baked into the framework of the job that I have. It's not something that I'm it's not icing on the cake, and it's not something that I have to remind people of. It's baked into the job. And I wish I could say everybody at First Congregational understands that 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 sense of ministry behind the the people they employ. Unfortunately, I don't think that's true. Oh, but that's, but, but, that's true but for the leadership church. of several years ago said we need to frame the language in a particular way to create a certain narrative, and and so Great. everybody is a minister of fill in the blank here. And it does make a difference. Wonderful. It does allow mm-hmm. for an openness to how is the Holy Spirit working through the life of this particular mm-hmm. individual and through the area of programming that she or he serves. Mm-hmm. That is key. And, and I would and, imagine that down the road, it makes a difference in terms of hiring, because you think, can someone lead this place spiritually? And it that that changes how, how and who you hire. Right. And And over time, it changes the both the expectations of the congregation and how the congregation approaches an area of programming or, mm-hmm. or people. And, and so you know, I realize you're going to be here forever and they won't have to replace you oh, for, yeah. for several decades. But, but when they do that, because of who you've been and your understanding of calling, there will be an expectation for the, the next person or yeah. an expectation for we are looking for a, a spiritually based music program mm-hmm. and a person that can do X, Y, Z. Yeah. 
So now we are ready for our reads of the week. And Bill, I'm curious what you have for us. Well, as we are recording this, we're in the midst of Holy Week. So I'm not reading a whole lot besides liturgy that I can adapt for bulletins and, and, and worship. But a couple weeks ago, odd used book sale, I found this strange little thin volume published in 1858. It was a compilation of all the addresses, all the people who spoke at the inauguration of Washington University here in St. Louis in 1856 or 1857. I don't remember those years exactly. And as I'm flipping through it, doing some reading here and there, the very first person who got up to to open the the convocation and prayer was the person who was the first pastor of First Congregational Church. And uh, for all our listeners out there, First Congregational of St. Louis is where Bill and I are both Correct. And at the time these addresses were made, those were just separate institutions in the city of St. Louis. Since 1915, First Congregational Church is literally tucked up physically next to Washington University. Mm-hmm. No or, official or connection. Throw, literally. It just, that that <laughs> was the way things evolved. And I thought it was interesting that there was that deeper connection to the university from its inception. And and First Congregational only started in 1852 or 53. So oh, interesting. they were both young institutions in this city at the same time. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I have something completely different this week. I too am not reading a ton, but I have an article, and you guys won't believe where it's from, it's from Bon Appetit, of all places, the Ooh. cooking magazine. And I actually stopped subscribing to Bon Appetit because I was so annoyed by the um, continual th- thinking of cooking as a way to impress people and be better than your neighbors. I just I just don't buy into that. But Is this going to be about the Easter ham? No. <laughs> Although I'm all for Easter ham, and I did, I did get one that's sitting in my fridge now. Um, let me tell you the name of the article, and I'll link to it in the show notes. It's called, Is Your Wellness Practice Just a Diet in Disguise? And it's by Melissa A. Fabello. And I think it is interesting for church workers because it is about wellness and the fear of death and diet culture and exercise as a way of combating what we are so deeply afraid of in our deepest, most inner selves, that we are afraid of dying. And all of us working in churches and maybe all of us as people, we're, we're afraid of death and we're all ministering to people who are afraid of dying. That is so part of the human condition. And it's so, from an Eastern Orthodox perspective, that's just like, there is therein is the motivation of sin. We are so afraid of dying. And there is the great victory of of Jesus who is is resurrected. What I'm thinking about though for us working in churches is that we are continually ministering to people who use diet and exercise as a really ineffective way of combating that fear. Mm. And I think that we often forget about that because it's just like, oh, you know, I need to lose 10 pounds. That means I'm taking care of my body, right? But so often that's not really what what is motivating our our health choices. I think that as we minister to people, we need to be very aware of cultural lies that are told. One of which is that, you know, if you are well, that's a, that's a objectively spiritually good thing and not in fact, a really fear-based response to the human condition. Yes. Right. And so as we are thinking about how we frame sermons, as we think about how we do the food in our churches, as we think about really ministering to people who live in America in the 21st century, I think that we need to be aware of the messaging that people continually get. And maybe maybe this is me speaking as a 30-something-year-old woman. I mean, I'm continually surrounded by like, drink this and you're going to be amazing. Wear this and you're going to magically look 10 pounds thinner or whatever. In an attempt to stay connected to our theme, could we say we are called to care for ourselves as a way of glorifying God? Absolutely. And how different is that than saying, I'm afraid of dying? 
Yeah, well, it's hugely different. And and mm-hmm. you will you will live, you will interact, mm-hmm. you will mm-hmm. experience life mm-hmm. in totally different ways mm-hmm. depending on those motivations. Like drinking that green juice because what a wonderful gift that God has given us in these vegetables is really different than drinking this green juice because maybe that'll help me level up a little bit longer. Yes. Maybe I maybe I won't maybe I'm not going to die. I do want to question what what you said though about food choices at church. If we don't have cookies in the parlor after <laughs> worship, who is going to stay? The, the foundation will crumble. Oh, but, but that's but that's not that's not what I'm saying at all though. I know, I'm not I saying know. we should we should make everything as healthy as possible. I'm just being a smart Alex, Sarah. <laughs> I'll let you read into that what you wish. <laughs> So back away from the wellness, or not, um, it's a really interesting article. The pull quote is, spoiler alert, we all die. That is all for this week's installment of Called. Uh, Look for a new episode on the first and third Tuesdays of each month. And speaking of show notes, you can find those at calledpodcast.com. This is the first episode. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry buddies and and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts and and give us feedback. We want to do this better. We'd like to be talking about things that are of interest to us, but you all as well. So let us know. Let us hear from you. You can shoot us an email at calledpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Sarah Bariza. And I'm Bill Smoots. Until next time, cut out the BS and embrace the good.